Well, good morning. morning. Everybody good? Boy, the service has already been full, hasn't it? You know, I want to tell you a story about a guy by the name of Larry. You may have uh, saw this in the news uh, sometime back. It's a story about a guy who uh, was really bored in life. His whole dream was to be a pilot in the Air Force. But bad eyesight prevented him from doing that. And so Larry found himself in a, in a pretty difficult situation where he lived a frustrating lo- kind of life because all he could do was look up and think about what it would be like to fly. Have you ever had that kind of thing? What the dream in your heart and it never got realized somehow. And you wondered, what do I do with that? And how do I, where do I go with that? Well, what we find out in the story about Larry is this. That Larry decided one day to go down to the local surplus store. Larry bought 45 weather balloons. Larry tied them to a lawn chair. And when he tied them to a lawn chair, he tied the lawn chair to his truck. He then filled them up with helium. And he thought he would just float maybe 30 feet into the air. This happened in 1982, by the way. Larry Walters was his name. He filled up those helium balloons and he prepared himself for the journey. He took a BB gun because he thought he would shoot out a balloon and that's how he would descend. He brought a camera, he brought some food and some water, and Larry began this journey. Well, Larry did not really expect what was getting ready to happen. When Larry cut the rope, instead of gently rising up above the community in which he lived, he shot up to 15,000 feet into the atmosphere. Larry began this journey looking around. He was afraid to shoot the balloons. He didn't know what it would take. He didn't know if he'd destabilize his flying craft or what would happen. Larry stayed up about 14 hours before he drifted into LAX airspace. You can only imagine what they're doing at the tower, talking about what is going on. Here is a guy in a lawn chair tied to 45 helium balloons Uh, with a BB gun, with a gun in his lap. Well, Larry began to drift out to sea. They didn't know what to do. They sent uh, a helicopter out to rescue Larry, but as soon as the helicopter got close, it pushed the balloon further away. Finally, they decided to hover over Larry and bring some ropes and rescue Larry. Larry was brought to the ground. He was immediately arrested and handcuffed, but they didn't know what to charge him with. He didn't have a pilot's license. They couldn't revoke that, and they, they were trying to figure out what to do. They, in the end, they fined him in $15,000. He went before the judge, and uh, the judge asked him to tell the story, why he did what he did and what was going on. And Larry began to tell the story, and the judge heard his story, and he said, I'm going to reduce your fine to $1,500, Larry. I hope you don't do this again. And he said, Larry, do you have any final words? He says, yeah, a man just can't sit around and do nothing. (laughs) If you're going to make a difference in the world, you can't just sit around and do nothing. There has to be something you do that changes the world that you find yourself in, something that, that absolutely radically moves you and moves the heart of other people around you. You know, we've talked about people who make a difference and what are those characteristics and do you have them and how many do you have and, and, and while I may give you some, I'm sure you'll think of more, many, many more as you look about in your own life and you look at those around you. Here's a few that I, I came up with just this week. One of them is they challenge others to be their very best. 
If you're going to make a difference in the world, one thing you're going to do is you're going to make a difference in somebody else. You're going to challenge them to be their very, very best. Isn't that what God does for you? Doesn't God look into your life and says, I want you to be the very best you can be. I want you to be the best version of who you are. You may not be the most talented. You may not be the smartest. You may not have a lot of qualities, but you can be the best you that God created you to be. And when you challenge other people to do that, you are making a difference in the world. Another one is that they release resources to further the kingdom. One of the things that I've seen in people who really make a difference is they say, you know what? God has blessed me with this, but I'm going to release this into the kingdom. I want to see what God can do with what I have. They also carry with them, I believe, the presence of God. person who makes a difference in the context in which we're talking here, and that is our faith in God. They carry with them this sense that God is with them, and there's a presence, and God becomes first in their life. God becomes the one they're seeking to promote and not to promote themselves. And this last one that I I jotted down, it just really moved me, and I thought about it a lot. They celebrate who a person is versus what they are not. I want you to think about that one. It's really powerful, a lot more powerful than maybe you give it credit for initially. But a person who makes a difference celebrates who a person is versus what they are not. I've noticed in my own life, and you've probably noticed it in your life, that it's not hard to become critical or judgmental. We can go there pretty quick and pretty easy. And if we're with other people who are critical or, or in that kind, of, that kind of bent, then we can get there pretty quick too. But I think a person who's going to make a difference is going to say, you know what, I want to celebrate who you are. I don't want to celebrate who you're not. And then become a critical person. If we're going to make a difference, we have to do that. There's a story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. It's a familiar story to many. It's a story that we identify as the woman at the well. This woman was down drawing water, and Jesus, the Bible says, was passing through Samaria. He had no intention of staying in Samaria. He was going to pass through. It was a shorter distance. It was easier. It was more beneficial for him just to pass through. When he came to the well, he said to the woman, would you give me some of the water that you're drawing from the well? And then he said, I want you to know something about living water. She said, living water? What's living water? Well, when you draw from this, you'll never thirst again. And she said, sir, you have no bucket. How are you going to get water out of the well? And she didn't understand what he was talking about. He was talking about something in the spiritual realm. It's kind of like you. Have you ever thirsted for something and you got it and you said, that's it? That's all there was to it? But you see, God says, I've got something that will always satisfy you, always fulfill you. He says, sir, give me some of that water. And, and he began to talk then about worship, true worship. She said, well, you know, the Jews, they worship in Jerusalem, and we, we, we worship over here, our Samaritans in Mount Gerizim. And, and they began to talk about different kinds of worship. And he said, the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And then he spoke to her about her husband. And she said, I have no husband. He said, indeed, you have five. And the one you're currently living with is not your husband. Now, he's gone from the water supplier to the meddler. He began to meddle in her life. And she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Well, she got so excited about this encounter with God, this meeting of Jesus, she ran into town and she said, come see the man who told me everything, who knows everything about my life. I think the story is so powerful, but the story doesn't end there. I want to pick up the story in John chapter 4 and verse 39. It said, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. She encountered Jesus in a miracle. The miracle was he could look into her heart. He could look into her soul. He could see things that nobody else saw. He knew things he shouldn't know. And when I begin to think about miracles in our life, I want you to keep this thought in mind. Miracles open our heart to the Spirit of God. Miracles open our heart to the Spirit of God. One of the things that I love seeing kids up here is I love seeing all the different personalities, don't you? Some are so excited to shake something, sing something, do what others are going. I am not into this at all. I have been corralled. I have been tricked by my parents, right? And part of the joy of watching kids sing is you hope somebody does something really, really unusual. You know, like they just turn around and they have nothing to do with it. They hit the person. I mean, they do something. You just go, oh, I love that part of it. One of the parts that I loved about it was I... I love watching the little girl on the end. Her name is Faith. She was dressed like an angel. You know, it hasn't been that long ago, just last year, that she was diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed for her. And they took her back into the doctor, and the doctor said, you have a miracle. I'll see you in a year for a checkup. There's no need for any action at all. When you see the miracles of God. It opens your heart to the Spirit of God. Can I tell you just a little bit as we look back on this year, some of the miracles that we've seen? But I want you to first think in this term. I want you to think about your comfort zone. You have a comfort zone? Some of you have a comfort zone on where you sit when you come here on Sunday morning. If somebody's in your chair, you are uncomfortable. You might even ask them to find another place because that's your comfort zone, right? You have restaurants you go to, you have gas stations, they're in your comfort zone. A comfort zone really is a place of least resistance. I feel okay there. But can I tell you, you never make a difference if you stay in your comfort zone. There's another zone I call the opportunity zone. The opportunity zone is the place of inspired dreams. In the opportunity zone, all you can do is think about what if. What if God did this, or what if I trusted God for that? What if God came through? What if, what if, what if? And it's, it's a zone that I think we should live in most of the time. But the third zone is what I call the celebration zone. That's a place where we just celebrate. It's the end zone of life. In the end zone, the football players run into the end zone, and they, they celebrate, and all of them have their unique dance, right? They go, this is how I'm going to dance. This is what I'm going to do. What do we celebrate? Let me tell you a couple of things that I want us to celebrate over the last year. Last year, we began in January with a a women's conference, and more than 600 women came to that women's conference. And this next one is coming up on the the 16th of of January, and we're expecting close to 1,000 women to attend that conference. That's something to celebrate, amen? 
We can celebrate that in February of this year, we went to South Africa with Jared Davidoff and worked with his team, and we saw more than 13,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's something to celebrate. On Easter sunrise, we baptized 87 people. That's something to celebrate. We had an eternity crusade in June, and we saw 135 decisions for Jesus Christ. That's something to celebrate. This loading dock out here, this extended area that we use for all different kinds of activities, it was just an open loading dock this time last year, and we've enclosed it. We've finished that renovation, and and we've expanded, and that's something to celebrate. We've seen dozens and dozens of people healed through the ministry of prayer at this church. That's something to celebrate. We saw uh, a new coffee vendor come in, and Bodie Leaf Coffee will be opening in January, and and that was a direct result of the fast. And we're we're excited to to think about the community coming into now this place of business that's going to be housed within our, our community here and where we can go and we can be a part of the ministry team that's ministering to people. That's something to celebrate. We had our third annual Christmas tree lighting. And we had more than 1,200 people show up and be a part of that celebration that was sponsored really by, uh, by the Anaheim Hills uh, community group and, and the city of Anaheim. We provided hundreds of toys for Boys and Girls Club and for the ministry of Adullam. And the ministry of Adullam came later. You remember Adullam was the cave where David went and it said all those who were in debt and all those who were distressed and all those who were in trouble, they came and they ministered to David there. Well, the Boys and Girls Club, we've been doing this now for about three years, giving toys, and it's exciting to have with us today the uh, executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. They minister to about 300 uh, kids on a daily basis. In the summertime, that number can easily double, but we're so excited to have uh, John and his wife Holly with us. Would you guys uh, raise your hands wherever you are right here? Right here. God bless you guys. But God so blessed that, that we were able to provide the toys. We were able also to provide some financial resources for them for the expanding uh, ministry that they have. And I want to just show you one of the pictures that we took uh, as uh, one of the representatives from the Boys and Girls Club were coming, and they were, they were uh, picking up the toys. And so we, I think we have a picture of that that we can show you. Well, that's the Adulam one. Let's just go to that one. So uh, there we go. And uh, so it's just exciting to see that be a part of it. And then uh, Pastor Javier, uh, we've known, and he lives in uh, L.A. He ministers in L.A., and he called me, says, Pastor Phil, if you have extra toys left over, uh, we have so many, so many people in poverty in our church. Would you be able to help us out? And I said, Javier, our first uh, commitment was to the Boys and Girls Club. If we have extra, we will be glad to help you out and give you some of those toys. And I, I want to show you that second picture then of Pastor Javier, his wife Lydia. Uh, you can see Tammy in there, Pastor Nate, uh, Natalie, and Kelly. And uh, they're there picking up the toys, and we were able to give them, uh, I don't know how many toys, I'm going to say 100-plus toys, and take them back and minister grace unto them. You know, I mean, can you put your hands together? Let me try this again. You know, when, when you see something like that, it's something to celebrate. I mean, it's really something to celebrate. I mean, imagine if you are living on the street, 80% of those kids at Boys and Girls Club are classified homeless. Do you really think that your parents are going to have the extra money to give you a toy? 
Do you realize you and I became the avenue by which we could bless some kids? Now, can I ask you if you can put your hands together any better than you did before? Because you see, there's joy in giving. And think about Pastor Javier. He's working with some very difficult situations there, and we've blessed him. You know, what do we need? I, I want to just tell you, here's, what, here's how, how church works. A lot of people say, how does church work? Church works largely by December. I know it sounds strange, but all of you think at the end of the year, how much did I give and I didn't, that's all I gave? And then you say, gosh, I need some tax breaks. I'm just going to be real with you. And you know what the church does? The way that we operate is we know that we go into a lean season right after Jan- in January up to Easter. And so what all churches do is they rely heavily upon your sacrifice in December to help fuel that ministry into Easter time. And our goal for December is $300,000, and we're probably about halfway there. I'm going to ask you to really just prayerfully consider, not to give out of guilt, not to give out of anything other than let God speak to you. If God moves your heart, then give. If God doesn't move your heart, then don't give. See, there's something about generosity of the heart that just fuels us and helps us to make a difference. Let me take you to to the next portion of the scripture in John chapter 4 and verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. Now remember, Jesus was passing through Samaria. He had no intention of staying. When they said, will you please stay? Will you stay longer? Have you ever asked Jesus to stay longer at your moment of prayer? Have you ever asked Jesus to stay longer in your life and to pour more into your life than he has in the past? Are you so quick to move on in life and do what you want to do that you don't urge him to stay longer? They urged him to stay longer with them. And look what he did. He changed his plans and he stayed two days. And it says many more believed because of his word. Here's a question I get asked. If God is everywhere at the same time, then how can, why do we ask him to come in his fullness? Why do we ask for his presence to become greater if he's already here? It's really an easy answer. It's all found in Scripture. Because you see that the, there, are, there are manifestations or measures of the presence of God. And one of the measures of the presence of God is God is everywhere at the same time. That means he's omnipresent. But there's also a sense in which there's a measure of which he comes into your heart. At salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. But even in indwelling, he can be resident and not reigning. You can have the Holy Spirit, but he's not, on, he's not controlling your life. And you, that's why we say there is a fullness of the Holy Spirit that comes in that relationship. But also in Matthew chapter 18, it says when two or more are gathered in your, in your name, that he is there in your midst. So we understand there must be some greater measure of God when we gather than, a, than when we're apart. That's a greater measure of, of his presence. We also believe that, as the Scripture teaches us in Psalm 22, that God inhabits the praises of His people. There's something, a greater measure that comes when we praise Him, when we give Him glory, when we sing unto Him. There's a sense in which His his presence never stops. Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe was filling the temple. It was continually filling. 
It didn't stop. It was like a train that just kept going and going, and the presence of God in the fullness of the measure of God continues to come. There is no end to the presence of God or the awareness that we have of Him. So when we study Scripture, we understand something of this. I understand something of the presence of God in ways that I don't even understand. I, sometimes I go, I don't know what this means. I don't know how this is working. Sometimes in Scripture, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it said when they dedicated the temple, it said the presence of God was so powerful that no one could move. They were stuck in their position. In the book of Judges, when Manoah saw the angel of the Lord, he came back and he told his wife, I have seen God, we should prepare to die. And then there is a sense in which Paul tells Timothy, he said, God dwells in an unapproachable light which no man can see. There is a sense of the presence of God that we will never fully understand or experience. But there's a whole lot leading up to that, amen? There's a whole lot that God wants to give us getting to that place in our life. Miracles confirm the word of God. I want you to listen carefully. I'm gonna say a couple of things that I hope you'll write down or I hope you'll go back and rewatch on, on uh, our Vimeo channel and, and get a feel for this. But here's one of them. Presence creates a hunger for more presence. You ever been around somebody you really like and you just wanted to have more time with them? Oh, do you have to leave? Oh, it's getting so late. I'm sorry you have to go. You see, there's a sense in which you really, when you begin to experience the presence of God, you don't ever get enough of it. Presence creates a hunger for presence. Only in presence can you understand his and discern his voice. Only in presence can you really discern his voice. There's something when you have an awareness of God, when God shows up in a powerful way, there's something that's different about that moment that's, that's, that you know is different, but it's there that you begin to hear the voice of God in a very unique way. You have to know how to function in the moment of his presence. When you become aware of his presence, you have to know what do I do in his presence. How do I think in his presence? How do I receive in his presence? Catch this thought. Sometimes people miss what he is saying because they are so committed to what he has said. You get so locked into the scriptures you know that you can't hear his voice. And the way that he has spoken to you in the past out of the scriptures you know becomes so familiar to you that it no longer becomes anything that thrills you because you're not hearing the voice of God. You're just hearing what you have read and what you know. Sometimes people miss what he is saying because they are so committed to what he has said. You see, God wants us to live by revelation. The first revelation of God in Scripture was Adam. It says he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. I've never heard a voice walking. The word voice there is what the rabbis referred to as memrah. It was the manifest presence of God. It was the Son of God in the garden. 
that was walking in the midst of the garden. It's interesting that in that garden there's the voice, and when you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 22, there's a voice again there, and you're in the presence again. The manifest presence of God. In John chapter 4 and verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe. She had experienced a miracle and she was changed by it. They said, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know. And he uses a word here that's very different. He shouldn't be using this word. Because typically he would use a very intimate word, a a, a word that is referred to when a man knows his wife, that kind of a no, something that's very deep within. But here's what they use. They use a different word. They use, Jesus uses the word to experience with the senses. Now we know. We saw something, we felt something, we touched something, we tasted something. Our senses outside of this internal soulish man, there was something that we, that we became aware of. I believe the presence of God is something you become aware of. You can literally feel the presence of God when God shows up, when you invite him in. You see... We need to increase our capacity to believe in the true God. You have faith in God or you wouldn't be here. But have, do you, how do you increase the capacity? You see, miracles, listen to this, miracles are dependent upon acknowledged presence. Miracles are dependent upon acknowledged presence. If you don't acknowledge his presence... You will not experience him, and you will not experience miracles. That's why when you hear people say, I tried that or I prayed and nothing happened, don't be surprised. You got exactly what you expected. You expected that before you said it. You didn't think God would come through, and so he didn't. I found when I expect a miracle, God produces a miracle every time. Sometimes God stops and says no, that's only because he has a greater yes. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, he was in the presence of his hometown, Nazareth. They knew him. They said, is this not Joseph? Is this not the son of Joseph, the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter's son? And the interesting thing is in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, he says he did not do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. He was Jesus, the son of the living God. He was the Messiah. He had all power and authority had been given to him. He could, he, could, he could split the earth in two with the word of his power, and yet he chose not to do any miracles in the hometown because of unbelief. God will not do miracles in your life if you carry unbelief with you. Some of you carry a mantle of unbelief, and you don't even know you carry a mantle of unbelief. I'm not saying you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior and you're saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you carry a mantle of unbelief. You walk around with it, and you just really don't think, and that's why you're so shocked when God does a miracle. See, miracles should be the expected routine in the life of a believer. It should be what is common to our very, very core as a church. Churches should not exist if they don't have miracles. Then they're just teaching centers. 
There's places where we go and we get educated, we get smarter and smarter and smarter, but we never see God because God never really shows up. He stimulates the mind but not the heart and not the heart to the action. That's why people become critical. That's why people get self-absorbed. That's why we get self-absorbed. Because we're missing out on the presence. The miracles at his birth, think about the miracles at his birth happened because of acknowledged presence. When Jesus was born, there were miracles. There were wise men who came. That was a miracle. It was a miracle that he avoided that genocide that the king would bring upon all the children. That was a miracle. It was a miracle that those, those three gifts came, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because each one of them spoke of his presence. The gold spoke of his refined character. Frankincense was that, was that, 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 uh, that incense that was burned that was a reminder of death. And the myrrh was brought about to, to bring about that soothing and that healing. Each one of those spoke of, his mir- of the miracle of his presence. See, he's here, and you may or may not know that he's here. Because he can be here with the person sitting next to you and not here with you. Because you've not acknowledged the presence. Because you're living out Christianity like everybody else lives out Christianity. And it's unsatisfying. And the only goal becomes, can I, should I go this week? And you look at your calendar, you determine if there's a better show at church or a better show in the community. And that's how you determine, because you haven't come to understand presence. Once you understand presence, there's no options. Once you understand presence, all, all, the, all the activities that the world can tantalize you with become very unimportant to you. In fact, they become ugly to you. Because they distract you from the presence. Once you're in the presence, you're never the same. I really believe what I'm getting ready to say. I don't know that I can prove it, but I believe it. I believe that the level of your understanding and love for the presence here on earth is going to be a direct relationship to your understanding and the depth of the presence you will have in eternity. There's something wrong with a theology that perfects at death what you were unwilling to do in life. See, not all things are equal in heaven, just like not all things are equal on earth. Some carry a mantle of his presence because they want it, and some don't because they don't want it. They would never be that bold as to say it, but that's really the reality of it. Bill Johnson says this, the focus of repentance is to change our way of thinking until the presence of his kingdom fills our consciousness. The enemy's attempt to anchor our affections to the things that are visible is easily resisted when our hearts are aware of the presence in this world. Let me give you a few life applications. I think we've got enough for one day. It's like Thanksgiving, isn't it? We gobble up as much as we possibly can, and then we lay around and moan. And I saw a Facebook post that said, you know, it's, it's not that I ate too much. It's just that I hate myself now. 
Here's some life applications. Move out of your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is Christianity without His presence, move out of it. Move into the opportunity zone of God showing up in your life in a powerful way today. Be sacrificial. There is something about sacrificial living that's transformational to you. Not just to others, but to you. It's transformational. I really believe when we are sacrificial, there is something about His presence that's realized that when we're not. And then be greedy for His presence. You ever been greedy for something? You know, you can be greedy for the presence of God. You can want that more than anything else, and it's a very good thing. Do you really want that, the sense of his presence, to be in his presence more than you want anything in your life, more than your necessary bread? That's what God asks you. And God says, if you will ask me for that in that intensity and in that, that willingness to receive, I will satisfy you beyond measure. Let's stand together as we just bow our heads in prayer. Spirit of God, we we just ask your presence here to be in greater measure. We know there are measures of the manifested presence of God that we can realize. And we want to realize that. God, I I don't understand why one person can understand and desire the presence and one can turn away from it. Why one would desire miracles and one would turn away from them. But God, I ask that the presence of God now be as Jesus said. It could be felt. It could be sensed. It could be, there could be an awareness of the presence. As Jesus was urged to stay longer, he did. And they acknowledged the presence and they saw the miracle of God. Spirit of God, would you come right now? I pray that you will make your presence known to those who didn't come prepared for that. Who didn't know what that even meant. But right now, there's a sense of the presence of God. It it feels like a thick pressure or weight or cloud that has come. It's not a bad heavy or a bad weight. It's a good weight. It's God saying, I'm here. Would you acknowledge me? Would your presence be manifest in me? Would you give me a love for the presence more than I have a love for anything else in life? Just call unto him right now. Just call unto him. What what would you say to him right now? What would you say to him right now? you reach down to the deepest part of your soul you say it's from there that I want your presence God you may not know what that means or how that's going to manifest it or flesh itself out in your life but you know you want the presence of God more than your necessary bread you hunger and you thirst after him like the deer that pants after the water brook And only then will you find him. He is near and yet he is so far to so many.
Spirit of God, come right now. Do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Or have you just been religious? If you don't know Him, you can know Him right now. It's all by faith. It's not by religion. It's not by what church or what ritual you've done in your life. It's all by faith. Call upon the name of Him. The Bible says all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Be transformed. Be rescued. Be made new. We'll come into His presence. Pray a prayer like this one. Lord Jesus, I... I have been religious, and I have been what people maybe even call a good person, but I haven't really known you and your presence and your fullness. And right now, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my everything. And I I long for the presence more than I long for anything. Save me, Jesus. His Spirit will come into your life. His Spirit will come right now into your life if you ask Him. He will save you and rescue you from all sin if you will ask Him. Would you ask Him right now? You might pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior right now, Jesus. In the presence of God. There's a there's a something happening right now in your life you can't explain, but you know it's different. It's just different. That was your prayer, and you asked Jesus into your heart. We're not looking around. Just would you raise your hand up? Anyone here? Say, you know, I just, God bless you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Amen. God bless you. Don't be shy. God sees all. God knows all anyway. When we acknowledge the presence of God, God acknowledges us. For those of you who are believers, you say, I know I'm a believer. I, I don't have that doubt in my life. But, but you long for the presence of God. You long for the fullness of God in a greater way. Just lift your hand up and say, God, I want more of you. Just lift your hand up. Just hold him up high. Just say, Jesus, I'm here right here. I want more of you, God. I want to be more aware of your presence. I want to be more aware of your power. I want to live out my life for you in the fullness and the glory of Almighty God. Amen. God, you see these hands that are lifted before you, God. Just honor now their faith. Honor their request. Honor our request, Jesus. In your glorious name, we pray. Amen. You know, I'm going to ask you to remain standing for a minute. And uh, this, is, uh, this is kind of a special moment for uh, Tammy and I. Tammy, I'm going to have you come on up here. Uh, kind of a special moment for us because... Um, over four years ago, we started this church called Influence. It would be, uh, actually it was not even four years, it would be four years in February. We started Influence Church, and we started it in a, in a living room. But before that living room, <laughs> all right, before that living room, right, we, uh, we, we had a ministry in, in Hollywood to uh, Young Hollywood, and, and we met uh, just a, a marvelous couple. And they came and they uh, became friends with us. They were in our home. We, created a, we did a, actually did a record album with them before we even uh, launched this church. And then when it came time to, came time to start this church, we said to, to John and Emily, would you consider coming and being worship pastors at Influence Church? 
And, uh, and I, I think after the shock wore off, um, they said, yeah. And so for us, uh, John and Emily are, like, are really like sons and daughters to us. And uh, they're going to be moving to Nashville uh, basically on the 28th of this month. So the 20, John will be leading worship uh, at Christmas Eve and then on the 27th, and then they'll be moving to Nashville. And so we want to bless them. I'm going to have them come on up on the stage. Would you do that? And when, when we knew, if you remember John back in those days, he had these really cool face bangs. And they had no children. Now they got rid of the face bangs and got two children. And, uh, yeah, he's got the slick, cool look here. But um, we love you guys so much. And, and we're just so happy to, to be able to serve with you. And um, you really have been like a son and uh, like a daughter. We love you guys so much. And, you know, we want to bless them. You know, it's a kind of a step of faith. John was a, a touring uh, you know, kind of musician and session musician and did all that kind of cool stuff uh, before he had influenced church. And he's going back to Nashville now, going to start getting some uh, auditions and, and start touring. It just feels like this is what God's doing in his life. And we recognize that. And, and we just want to bless him in that. And uh, John is going to be back actually for the new conference, so he's coming back in January to help us with that, and we hope to see John and Emily from time to time back here, and maybe as a guest le- worship leader, something like that. So, but here's what I want to do. I want to pray for them, and I want to bless them, but I want you to bless them too, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and this is, uh, this is unusual. We're not setting precedent. We're not going to do this for everybody, so Pastor Nate, just don't even get any ideas here. <laughs> All right? Okay. But because of the longevity, because of the faith step they're going to take, we're going to ask uh, that our ushers just stand at the door, and we're going to have a basket there. If you want to bless them in their going uh, with financially, please do so. Um, and it, don't feel an obligation. Again, everything goes back to your heart. You say, I don't even know the dude. Uh, right? Right? I just showed this my first Sunday, you know? Well, you know, then give him 100 because you, you should have been... <laughs> You should have been coming earlier, you know. Shame on you for showing up late, amen. But we just want to bless them. And all of that will just go to them and, and, and for their journey. And as they pack up their van and, and two kids and drive to Nashville and start new and start fresh. And I know they don't even have a place to live, I don't think yet. But, um, but we love you guys. Would you like to say anything? Or, Tim, would you like to say anything? Yeah, I just want to thank you guys all. It's been a privilege to be your worship pastor the last almost four years now. And... I look out, and so many of you, so many of you, are like family to me. It's, this is such a bittersweet moment, but just want to thank you both for the opportunity and the privilege to serve with you, and love you all. Thank you again. Amen. Amen. We also ordained uh, this guy while we're in the midst of all of this, so uh, you're really like a reverend. Yeah, you want to be a bishop, you got to work a little harder for a bishop. All right, let's just pray and bless them. God, I just pray blessings now over the Ketchums, over all that they're going to do, that you're going to just uh, bless every step of this journey, that you're going to honor them the way they've honored this, this fellowship, and that you're going to provide um, all the right um, opportunities they need to provide for their family. Uh, the right place to live, the right friends, the right uh, church, uh, right ministry, God. All the things that you're going to do in their life. 
And Father, as they step up, step on this journey, we step with them. And we bless them. And we ask that their going be powerfully guided by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Can we just give them one more round of applause? Love you guys. Oh, with that, you're dismissed. God bless you. Have a great day.